So that means the answer should be no, right? Because God is not with them. So we find that fellowship with God is very important. For this is what God has originally intended for mankind. And now, we fast forward to the time of the early church. At that time, there were certain false teachers who were trying to lead Christians astray. So we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, it says, uh, John said, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. So there were these false teachers, and they were spreading lies about whether or not we have fellowship with God. And so therefore, in his first epistle, John the Apostle put forth a test for his readers to examine themselves in order to be sure that they really have fellowship with God. So, this morning, the title of the message is A Test of Fellowship with God. Reading from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. Now, let us look at chapter 1, verse 5 to 10, right? The, whole, the rest of chapter 1. Now, in this section, John sets forth three spurious claims that he understands to be the position of these false teachers. And he uses the first person plural, we, woman, kita. Why? Because he is stating general principles that are applicable to all equally. So let's look at chapter 1, reading from 5 to 7, regarding the first claim, the first false claim of spurious claim. Alright, let me read to you. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. So this claim by those false prophets, right? In short, we can say that they are, they are, they are in fact saying, we can have fellowship with God while walking in darkness. Right? We can have fellowship with God, although we are walking in darkness. But John refutes by saying that such a claim is a lie. Such a claim is not the truth. The truth is not being practiced. Right? The truth is not in us. He says, God is light. What does it mean? Light is a metaphor for truth. 
righteousness. Let's read a few scriptures to, to see what the word of God says about life as a metaphor. The first one from Psalms 119105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So light represents truth. And then light also represents righteousness. Reading from Proverbs 4, verse 18. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. The way of the righteous. Right? Righteousness. So, some tell us about truth, which is to be known. And Proverbs tells us truth that is to be practiced. But on the other hand, what does darkness represent? So let's read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. So of course, darkness is the opposite of light. Therefore, darkness represents evil. Now, light and darkness, they are diametrically opposite, totally opposite. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. So, if God is light, how can one who walks in darkness be having fellowship with God? Right? If God is there, there is light, so how can there be darkness? But if you see you're walking in darkness, that, that means God won't be there. God is not there. So clearly, this claim is a contradiction. It's an unmistakable contradiction. The truth is, walking in the light, which means a practical daily living in the light, would mean truly having fellowship with God. And having fellowship with God would result in having fellowship with one another. Right? When you and I are connected to God, we are also interconnected. And as we walk in the light with God, the Bible says the blood of His Son Jesus purifies us from our sins. That means even if you are walking in the light, does not mean that you will never sin. We will sin, but we do not hide our sins. We do not seek to hide the fact that we have sinned from God. Let's look at John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So those who are walking in the light, though they sin, they, they are willing to expose their sins to God and let God change them. Whereas those who are evil, they did. They do not want their evil deeds to be exposed. So they are in darkness. 
So this is the first claim. Let's look at the second and third claim found in chapter 8 and 10. Let me read from chapter 1, verse 8. Verse 8, not chapter 8. Here it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in. And verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now verse 10 is a bit more serious, right? Rabbo says the truth is not in us or the word is not in us. Alright, the word equals the, 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 the truth of God. But the first one says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, we, we fool ourselves only. Whereas in verse 10, it says, we are saying that God is a liar. Now, what does it mean? That we claim to be without sin. Now, in short, we are saying that we are not sinful. We have no propensity, no inclination to sin. That means we can't sin at all. Or, we, we can sin, but now that I have, uh, we have uh, received Christ, we have achieved sinless perfection. Now we become perfect, so we can no more sin. Or, another way of looking at it is that there are some people who believe that sin is a matter of the flesh. It does not affect the spirit. The real life is in the spirit. So whatever you do with your flesh, with your body, it's okay. Nothing wrong. Nothing to do with your spirit. So the spirit is more important. So this is a, a what we call a Gnosticism. Well, whatever it is, the gist of it is that they, these people claim that they cannot sin. There's no sinful propensity, no sinful nature. And John refutes by saying that those who make such a claim are fooling themselves. And the truth is not in them. The word of God clearly describes the sinfulness of man. Let's read from Psalms 14 verse 3. But no, all have strayed away, all are rotten with sin. Not one is good, not one. And Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. And there is not a single man in all the earth who is always good and never sins. So the Bible clearly says that we have the propensity, we have the inclination to sin because all have strayed away. No one is perfect. No one is sinless. Then, what about verse 10? Now, verse 10 is slightly different. It says we have not sinned, meaning we deny that what we have committed is sin. Perhaps some may say that oh, uh, indeed I have sinned, but, but something, something else. They will cite some mitigating factors. 
Yeah, I've done this, but I don't consider it as, as, as sin because my spirit is feeling, but my flesh is weak. I didn't want to do this. Not sin. Oh, that's not sin. Or some people have their own definition of sin. But they say homosexuality is not sinful. It's not a sin. So John refutes this by saying that those of us who make such a claim are saying that God is a liar. Uh, his word is not in us because the word clearly says that we have in practice sin. Right earlier in verse 8, it is the, the propensity, the inclination, the nature that you can sin. But here it says, you can sin and you actually did sin. Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's and a glorious standard. And James chapter 3, verse 2, For we all stumble and sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, never saying the wrong thing, he is a perfect man. Who can say that you have never said anything wrong? You have never said anything that hurts other people. You have never said anything in anger and uh, curse people. So, we all have sin. So, therefore, the second and third claims, they, they are false. The truth is, we have the propensity, we have the inclination to sin. Right? We easily do things that are wrong. Right? The Chinese that this thing, you want to learn to be good, it takes three years. You want to learn to be bad? It takes three days. Now three hours maybe. So, we do sin. But the second and third claims are counted by chapter 1 verse 9. So let's look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the proper attitude to sin is to acknowledge that we are sinful and have actually sinned. And also therefore to confess our sins. God is faithful. What does it mean? He is faithful means he will do what he has promised. So did he promise to forgive our sins? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God has promised to forgive our sins. So he is faithful. And he is also just. What does it mean by being just? So let's look at Romans 3, verse 25 to 26. 
For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So when we say God is just and fair means that when you have committed something wrong, he won't close one eye. Ayah, chinchala, never mind. Ayah, yeah, he's so good to me. Okay. I let him off. I will punish you. But that is not fair. What? Oh, God, why did you, why did you punish him? Huh? You punished me, you did punish him. But God is just. The punishment must be meted out. But the punishment falls on Jesus. So Jesus took that our punishment. So therefore, we are forgiven because of Jesus. So that is the, the fairness, the righteousness. God is fair. Okay, so let's look at confession. A confession means that we have the same attitude towards our sin that God does. Right? God sees sins in this way and we also see sin in the same way. We truly hate sin. The world can feel sorry for their sin because of the consequences. I am. I regret doing this because I, I got caught. Oh, I have to pay a fine. I have to go to jail. But godly sorrows hate sin not merely because of its consequences, but primarily because sin is rebellion against the God we love. So we feel sorry not because we will get caught uh, uh, or we will be punished, but of course this will also should be a de de deterrent. But we feel sorry because we have hurt the God we love. But God is faithful to forgive us if we have this heartfelt sorrow in us. And that makes us confess our sins. Now, there are people who believe that when we confess our sins upon conversion, when we first accept Christ, we confess our sins, right? Then our sins are forgiven, and therefore we will never fall out of fellowship with God. So, we don't have to keep on confessing. Chapter 1 verse 9 is not for Christians, it's for unbelievers. Once you have accepted Christ, your sins are forgiven, you don't have to confess and confess again. Now, the answer to this is, when a person gets saved, 
God forgives all of his sin, past, present, and future. And this is often called positional or judicial forgiveness. It's like a judge saying that, okay, now that you have done wrong, but your punishment has been taken by Jesus, so you are free. DAA, to use some legal terms, discharge amounting to acquittal. You're forgiven. However, the Bible is clear that even after salvation, believers will continue to sin. You yourself should know your, your own self. After you have accepted Christ, do you still sin? Have you? Or you said, oh, I'm, I won't, I can't sin anymore. Even if you are a Christian, you do sin. And therefore, these sins must be confessed. And God will be faithful to forgive all these sins. The sins that you have committed after you have accepted, you have accepted Christ. And we call this the relational of familial forgiveness. It's like you have already become a child of God. But this child of God becomes naughty. Damage things, cause trouble to the parents. But then the parent-child relationship is still intact. But then the parents will be angry and uh, the relationship with the child will be sour. Right? So the child who has caused trouble should say sorry to the parents and don't act as if uh, what, he, what he has done is okay, nothing wrong. Now this one, Jesus also commented on this in John chapter 13 verse 10. Let me read to you. After a person has a bath, his whole body is clean. He needs only to wash his feet. So Jesus is saying, when we first come to him, we have to take a bath to, to be clean all over. So this is the positional or judicial forgiveness. It's the washing away of all our guilt, all our sins, of our entire life, past, present, and future. But as we walk through life with Jesus, He knows that our feet will be defiled, will be dirty during our walk. And that needs to be washed away. You know, last time they they don't wear uh, all this Nike and all these shoes. They wear sandals and they walk on dirt road and the feet get dirty very easily. So they have to wash their feet. So Jesus is teaching that not only do we need the initial never to be repeated forgiveness, but we also need the many times repeated experience of forgiveness of coming to Christ for the cleansing away of our sins. 
when we walk with Him in life. And this is the relational or familial forgiveness that determines our fellowship with God. So look at this picture. The judicial or positional is like a scenario in a courtroom. And the other one will be the relational of familial forgiveness. Although the picture shows uh, the, a, a little boy, uh, maybe you should think about an adult, a wayward son who gambled or take drugs, borrow from Along, and the Along comes to the house and spirit pain, causing trouble to the parents, and the relationship with the parents, therefore, is sour, is broken. So the son must confess his sin. He must change his ways in order to restore that relationship. Alright, let's come to the last one, the last section. In chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Okay, let's read from chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, a righteous one. Right? My little children. So he addressed his readers affectionately. And he told them the purpose of writing this. That is, so that you won't sin, so that you stay away from sin. He wants them to walk in the light. Yet, he knows and he acknowledge, acknowledges that there is a possibility of them sinning. And if this happens, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense and advocate. Advocate is some, something like a defense lawyer. And he is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is righteous beings. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly sinless. Because he is sinless, therefore he can take our place and bear our sins. Now, our advocate appears in court to defend us. So if the devil accuses us, he is there to defense and say that ah, these people although they have done wrong right they are free now now let me tell you Jesus doesn't plead that we are innocent he will tell the judge and say well these people are innocent they, they have never done anything wrong no Jesus acknowledged that we have indeed done something wrong and he also doesn't plead that and give evidence of extenuating circumstances or what we call mitigating factors. Yeah, they have sinned, but actually someone influenced them, right? Ah, yeah, this Eve sinned because of the serpent. This Adam sinned because of the wife. 
but he didn't present all these mitigating factors. Indeed, they are they still seriously. But I have already paid the penalty. I have already suffered the punishment for them. So therefore, they should be acquitted. Again, DAA discharge amounting to acquittal. And then in verse 2, here it says, He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God, and he is the forgiveness for our sins and not only ours but all the woes. So in many a Bible version, it, it says Jesus is uh, they say Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Why? Because his death is sufficient for to deal with all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, and everyone. Because he's sinless. And his sacrifice not only effects forgiveness, but also it took away God's wrath. Right? The version that I read to you just now is this, that he uh, took God's wrath against our sins. So in many Bible versions, you will read the word propitiation, meaning turning away God's anger. So let's come to the last part of this message. How do you know for certain that you have fellowship with God? So, John the Apostle has set a test. So you go through the test. Are you walking in the light? Take or cross. Take or cross. Walking in the light means, are you living in the sphere that the light of God's truth prescribes? That means walking along where the light shines. So the light is shining here. I walk in this area. I don't walk under you know, in the shadow or in the darkness. So if your answer is a tick, okay, good. Next, do you acknowledge your sinfulness as the light of God reveals your sin? As God reveals to you that, oh, you have sinned. Do you recognize that you are sinful and that you do actually sin? You will say, okay, yes, tick. Then you pass. Right? Because if you do, if you do acknowledge that you are sinful and you do actually sin, you, you have the truth in you. Right? The truth is in you. And therefore, it means you are in the light. Right? The light is true. Okay, the last one. Do you confess your sins? Take or cross. Do you admit your wrongdoings? and seek the forgiveness that comes through Christ's death. You know, sin alienates us from God. 
So we, if we for, uh, confess our sins, God will forgive us and therefore the relationship, the fellowship will be restored. Okay, so are all your answers ticks or some ticks, some crosses? Now if all the, the three, your three answers are ticks, then you pass the test. Lulus, bagus, and you know for certain that you have fellowship with God. So, let's look at the summary. We know for certain that we have fellowship with God because we live out God's truth, right? Walking in the light. Acknowledge our sinfulness. We acknowledge that we are sinful and we do actually sin. And confess the sins that we have committed. And once we confess, we get, we receive the forgiveness. At this moment, let's listen to a song. and ponder over what you have heard.